So over the last several weeks, we've been going through a sermon series on the book of Galatians. This week is Communion Sunday, so we're going to take a break from Galatians, and we will start again next week. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you have called us here, and we pray that you would meet us in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was the summer of 2003, and I was in love with this girl. The only problem was she didn't know, and I couldn't bring myself to tell her. This was the type of conversation I was constantly having with myself. Okay, I'm going to tell her how I feel about her. Maybe the next time we hang out, something will happen that will allow me to tell her how I feel. Maybe she'll tell me that she likes me. <laughs> That'd be great. But she hasn't really given me the impression that she likes me. But I really like her. But what if she said no? I'd be so embarrassed and I would lose her friendship. But I really like her. On the other hand, we've dated each other's friends. What would everyone think? But I really like her. <laughs> On the other hand, at the end of the summer, I'm moving to Los Angeles. The timing couldn't be worse. But she's beautiful, smart, funny. I love talking with her and hanging out together. Okay, I'm going to tell her. No, I can't do it. <laughs> no, I've got to. I'm going to tell her the next time we hang out. So I get through the entire summer until there's one week left before I'm moving to Los Angeles. And I still haven't told her. So I make a plan. The night before I leave for Los Angeles, we're going to go hang out in Seattle. We're going to go rollerblading down to Gasworks Park. And then I made a reservation at the Space Needle for dessert. So I can tell her how I feel while we're rollerblading. And then we can go on our first date to the Space Needle. OK, so I was a little romantic in my thinking. But you need to realize, I really like this girl. <laughs> so the day comes. I pick her up. We head over to Seattle. and. We have a great time hanging out with each other. But I'm constantly thinking about how can I tell her. But I just couldn't do it. So it all comes down to dessert the Space Needle, right? Actually, no. I chickened out, canceled the reservation. The next day, I packed up my car and moved to California. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was rough. Now, this is one of many memories that I have of being afraid of letting other people get too close to me. As I drove down to California that time, at the end of that summer, uh, this memory weighed heavily on me. And you can imagine the kind of things that this memory was telling me about my identity and about who I was. I was thinking to myself, you're a coward, you're afraid, you're not worthy. Now, this is not a significantly tragic memory, but it is nonetheless a hard memory. And this, combined with other memories of pain, failure, and hardship, continue to weigh on me. Now, let me just say that I realize many of us struggle with very painful memories. And just hearing this topic may be causing a little bit or a lot of anxiety. And I just want to say, it's OK. Uh, take note of your anxiety and be kind to yourself. For some of us, with what we've experienced, just showing up to church has taken a lot of courage. So if you need to tune out at any point, feel free. But this still leaves us with the question, what are we to do with our memories of failure, pain, and hardship? 
What are we to do when those memories take up so much time and space in our thoughts and in our lives? Oddly enough, the text that we read today seemed to tell us to remember. Remember that you were slaves. Remember the death of Jesus. Remember? But I'm spending all kinds of energy trying to forget and ignore these memories. Why ever would I want to remember? Well, in short, we remember for our own healing, but also the healing and protection of others. Engaging our memories can lead to healing. Therapeutically, we must remember a past experience of pain in order to reach a cure. Remembering helps us to integrate our experiences into our life story, which helps to shape our identity and remind us that who we are is not our memories alone. We are much bigger than that. Remembering experiences of pain can also increase our capacity for compassion and empathy. Remembering our pain or the pain of our community can break us out of our indifference and inspire us to stand in solidarity with others who are suffering. And finally, remembering can encourage us to seek the protection of those who are abused, harmed, or mistreated. Our memories can serve as a reminder to protect those who are most vulnerable. We remember for our own healing and also the healing and protection of others. But our memories of failure, pain, and suffering alone are way too big and too scary for us to deal with on our own. And far too often, these memories serve to re-injure us rather than to heal us. They serve to breed indifference rather than solidarity. They serve as motivation to harm others rather than to protect. No wonder we want to forget and ignore. I certainly do. It is for this reason that God does not just call us to remember the hard things, but he gives us a new and surprising memory that reminds us that God is bigger than our memories that overwhelm us. Our texts remind us to remember for the sake of our own healing and also the healing of others. But in the mix and confusion of all of our memories, God offers us a new memory, a surprising memory that gives us a new identity and a new future that is not defined solely by our past. In our first text today from the book of Exodus, we are given a memory. This is the memory of God delivering his people from slavery in Egypt. So significant is this event that God requires his people to remember this event every year through a meal, through the Passover meal. And through the whole Bible, we continually hear this reminder, remember, remember, remember that you were once slaves in Egypt and God rescued you. The basic foods the Jewish people ate and still eat today for this meal of remembrance are lamb, unleavened bread, bitter herbs like horseradish, and wine. And when the family gathered together to eat this meal, the youngest child in the family would ask the question, why is this night different than every other night? And the story would begin. We eat the bitter herbs to remind us of the bitterness of slavery in Egypt. We eat the lamb because a lamb served as a sacrifice to rescue us from death and to liberate us from slavery. And the bread and wine remind us that God did not only bring us out of slavery, but he brought us to a new place, a place of abundance and a place of life. 
You see, God is not only a God who brings us out, but also a God who leads us to a new future. In this very tangible and physical way, the people of God throughout history remember the bitterness of slavery, and in remembering, they are compelled to remember those around them who are also suffering and experiencing affliction. Continually, God is calling his people to care for the most vulnerable in society, because as slaves, they were once the most vulnerable in society. But not only do they remember their former life as slaves, they are reminded and motivated by God's deliverance, by God's healing. Each year, they relived this liberation, this healing, through the Passover feast. And in that feast, the participants were one with their ancestors who were freed from slavery in Egypt by the power and grace of God. This memory not only gave the people of God a place to hold, or, or better yet, a place where God could hold their memories of pain and suffering, but it also gives them a new memory to help shape their identity and define their future. You were once slaves, but now you are children of the King. You are God's people. You are loved. And in that love and identity, their futures were opened to all the new possibilities that come from being free. This future is no longer defined by their past. In our second text, we have another memory. This is the memory of Jesus eating that same Passover meal with his followers. And in the middle of this meal, Jesus takes the bread and he takes the wine and he reinterprets the Exodus story to give us a new memory of a new deliverance. Jesus is the one who becomes the sacrifice so that we might go free. Jesus is the one who tastes the bitterness of death so that we might have life. Jesus is the one who is broken so that we might be nourished and healed. In Jesus, we are offered a new memory and a future of new possibilities. And yet, at the same time, we have a place where our memories of pain can be held. We are given a memory of a God who has also tasted rejection, a God who has also tasted pain, a God who has tasted suffering. In his hands, our difficult memories are welcomed and they are safe. And yet in the face of these memories, we find that our identities are not found in those memories, but they're found in Jesus, who gives us a new and surprising memory. Remember me, Jesus says. Eat the bread and drink the wine and remember that I gave my life for you. I gave my life because I love you. Take this new memory. Allow it to shape the way you think about yourself and about life and about me. And in that love and identity, our futures are open to all the new possibilities that come from being free. Why are we invited to remember? Because God, through Jesus, gives us a new identity and a future of new possibilities. Oh, yeah. About that girl that I loved, but never had the courage to tell her that I loved her? Well, I married her. <laughs> her name is Maya, and let me tell you what happened. So I'm on my way to California, and I'm telling my friend about a memory that I've had since college of another girl. I had liked her for a long time, and when I finally told her that I liked her, 
she didn't feel the same way. But after college, I often wondered to myself, could things possibly be different if we ever ran into each other again? Now, there was a little problem because we went to school in New York, I was living in Seattle, I was about ready to move down to Los Angeles, and the only other thing I knew about this girl was that her family had moved to Lebanon. So the chances of us running into each other was highly unlikely. But this didn't stop my mind from seeing her as I glanced through a crowd or seeing her as I drove or walked down the street. When I got down to Los Angeles for school, someone in my apartment complex invited me to a church service on a Saturday night. As I was looking for a parking spot, I see a girl crossing the street that looks like her. And then as I'm in the worship service, I see her again. At the end of the service, I convinced myself I need to find out. So I search out the lookalike, and wouldn't you know, it's the same girl that had preoccupied my memory for all those years. And she was there with her husband. <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> I was so shocked by this chance encounter that I figured God must be trying to tell me something. I just didn't know what it was. So I started paying attention. I started paying closer attention to what was happening around me. And as I began to pay attention, I noticed a very clear message coming through. It came out of every sermon I heard, out of my quiet times of prayer and Bible reading, out of conversations I had with others, and specifically out of the recent memory of failing to express my feelings to Maya. And that message was that I could keep my life neat and safe if I continued to keep others at a distance, but that God desired to transform me and meet me as I risked entering into relationship with others. Now, I desperately needed to hear this message because in a new place, I was afraid of entering into new, new relationships and new friendships. In my relationship with my family, I was afraid of being open and honest. And finally, there was Maya, who I cared deeply about, but I was too afraid of what would happen if I was vulnerable enough to let her know. So after a few weeks in Los Angeles, I flew back to Seattle for Maya's brother's wedding, which was a great excuse to see Maya. And having experienced God, I was instilled with a greater sense of confidence that I could be honest. I could be honest with her knowing that my identity was in Christ and that in that freedom, my future was not defined by all my memories of rejection and failure. Now, it still took me more than an hour to tell her everything that had happened to me since I had left Seattle before I finally got around to telling her how I felt about her but it finally came out. A little, a little over a year later, we were married. And a little less than a year ago, we had a beautiful little son. His name is Noah. Who could have imagined that the future could hold such amazing possibilities for us? Several times a year, Maya and I will go out to coffee or dinner, and we will remember this story. We remember this story because it reminds us that life is not always as neat as we would like it to be. We remember this story because we remember that God moved in the midst of this mess in a way that gave our marriage an identity that is found in Him and His action. Now, when we are going through hard times, which we do, we remember this story. We remember that we were created for each other, 
and that in God's love, our futures are open to all the new possibilities that are given to us in that freedom. Now, I don't know what you have experienced. I have no idea what memories you carry around with you. And I don't know specifically how God will meet you in the midst of those memories. Perhaps hearing Jesus' invitation to remember will give you the courage and strength you need to seek out a trusted friend, a trusted pastor, or a trusted counselor to help you work through some of these emotions. Perhaps as you remember your experiences of hardship, you will find a place where you can stand in solidarity with others who are going through similar things. Or perhaps all you needed to hear today was that you are loved. And there is no greater a memory of God's love for us than in Jesus. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we are invited. We are never forced. We are always invited to remember. We remember what we've experienced but we also remember Jesus who tells us, you are loved, you are free. And in that love and in that freedom, your future is not defined by the past alone, but it is open to all new kinds of possibilities that come in that love and in that freedom. In Jesus Christ, we have a new identity. In Jesus Christ, we have a new future.